0: Hello and welcome to Phoenix Talks. My name's Jade and today I'm joined by Ulrika Capata, award-winning filmmaker and lecturer at Montfort University, to talk about her film She Should Have Gone to the Moon, The Importance of Documentary and Women in the Film Industry. You made your film She Should Have Gone to the Moon. What was your inspiration and how did you hear Mm. the story?
1: All right, so uh, this was actually quite a few years back and... uh, I came across um, the Mercury 13 and Jerry Truehill, the documentary is about Jerry Truehill, in a magazine. I saw her photograph on a magazine cover and there she was in a white flying suit with a helmet. She was standing on top of the, uh, the wing of her airplane. And I was immediately fascinated by this woman. I thought, who is she? I've never heard about her. And so I started to read up about the Mercury 13. That's what this group of women was called. And Jerry Truehill was part of that group. And uh, the article gave a brief introduction to the Mercury 13 and what they had tried to do and what they failed to achieve.
0: Okay, so do you want to go into depth about what the Mercury 13 are?
1: Okay, so the Mercury 13, they these were a group of women, 13 women, that were selected to participate in a secret program, training programme that was organised by NASA in the late 1950s. Uh, NASA was uh, deep into the space race and... Um, someone at the uh, Randolph Lovelace clinic, that was the training clinic for the Mercury uh, Mercury Seven, found out that uh, the Russians were looking into testing women to see how they would cope with space travel. So Randolph Lovelace thought, okay, we should do the same and test women. Eventually, they got 13 women together. These were women who had either worked as, uh, they used to dust crops, for example. They used to race in small airplanes, or they were test pilots. And uh, they had all achieved a particular level in their skill, and they were then invited to the Randolph Lovelace Clinic, and they were put through a series of tests the same ones that the mercury seven went through so they had to do all kinds of things underwater tests they had to uh, be in isolation underwater tank isolation all kinds of physical and mental testing and uh, with the hope that they would be you know, the idea was at this point nobody had gone into space. Uh, Mercury 7 had orbited the Earth, that's as far as that went, uh, they went. And the goal, of course, was to travel to the moon. And these women were made to believe that there were serious contenders in this epic event. And they would eventually go to the moon, especially uh, because in a lot of the tests, the women outperformed the men, the Mercury 7 and um, after they all of these women had done their training successfully, there was one more step uh, where the women were supposed to go to Pensacola, because as an astronaut, you had to have fighter jet experience, and uh, uh, women weren't allowed to fly fighter jets as pilots, so that's where the program stopped. And NASA officially or unofficially because it was a secret training programme, sent the women home and said, You've done your bid, we've decided not to send you into space. And there's a famous quote by an unnamed NASA official who said, I'd rather send a monkey into space than a woman. And the women returned to their jobs, to their homes, and a lot of them felt obviously crushed and you know their big dream of Going to the moon was shattered.
0: And so Jerry is the focus of the film. She's the inspiration.
1: She is, yeah.
0: So um, what point researching the story did you know you had to make a film about it?
1: Uh, That's an interesting question because, yes, at first I found out about the Mercury 13. Initially, I thought, okay, I'd like to make a documentary about the training programme. But reading different interviews, I realized that Jerry was one of the most fascinating and outspoken women, and she was someone whose story went far beyond this training program. And I, I was immediately fascinated by these women because they were trailblazers. They were going to do something that no woman had done before, or no man had done at that point. And but Jerry was someone who was. A trailblazer from when she was four years old. She always pushed boundaries. She took f- secret flying lessons. Her parents told her, of course you're not going to become a pilot. This was 1940s Texas. You know, she was expected to get married, have children and be a housewife. And she took secret flying lessons. She ended up running her own business and flying Uh, B-25 bombers and testing the first infrared cameras that were going to be sent over Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So there was a lot in her story that I found very fascinating. So instead of making a more general uh, film about the program, I wanted to focus on Jerry only and through her tell the story of the Mercury Thirty
0: so you got to know her quite well mm-hmm. through um making the film. So yeah. what was it like getting to know someone who is a bit of an idol and inspiration to you?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she certainly she has become one of my heroines and they do say never meet your heroes but I'm certainly very glad I met Jerry. And it's it's a, it's quite funny how we first met because I managed to get hold of her via this website. I didn't have uh, an email contact for her or any other contact. So I emailed the owner of the website and uh, asked if there was a chance that I could speak to Jerry. And I waited a couple of weeks. And then one day I had an email from Jerry saying, hello, Ricke, I heard you were looking for me. And that's how we started and we exchanged a few emails. I told her about myself being a filmmaker and she agreed to be part of the film. And then at that point we hadn't spoken to each other, only contacted each other via email. And so I was applying for funding at that time. She lived in Dallas. And uh, in order to get on with the film, I decided to record a long telephone interview with her. With my sound designer, he has a studio set up so we were able to record it properly. And we arranged a time to talk on the phone. And it was very funny because when I first said hello to her and we greeted each other, um, she said to me, I thought you were a guy. Because my name is Ulrike, it's a German name, she wasn't familiar with it, and all along she thought she was dealing with a guy, and so that was quite funny, that broke the ice a bit, and, and we had an amazing hour and a half long conversation, and then eventually when I got funding, uh, uh, I took a crew out to Dallas. And, um, yeah, and I met her at her home and she was a dream come true, honestly. She lived, it was very interesting. I had a certain image of her from the photographs. She certainly still looked like that being in her early 80s. A very dynamic woman. But despite her, uh, you know, she can be hard as nails. She is definitely, uh, more of a scientist or a, a engineer, uh, but she had a very feminine home. She did a lot of pottery. Everything was decorated with glasses. She had about ten, 10 cats at her home. And so it was quite a contrast between, you know, here's this woman who was went through this tough training, and I come to her home, and and she's like a Texan housewife dream. And she was lovely. I mean, she she was very open. She wanted to tell her story. She was very supportive and and very very warm. So, I think we developed a a real bond
0: with her story and the mercury. Obviously, it's so fascinating, but hmm. it's just it's just not well known. Hmm. So, would you say that's an important reason for documentaries to be made because they get to expose these things?
1: I definitely think so i mean i I was I couldn't believe that this story seemed to have been swept under the carpet and wasn't well known. There is something written about him, and there's a book, but yeah, I think that's the beauty of making documentaries because they can delve into areas that have previously been unseen or unheard of and uh expose stories and hopefully have an impact so uh yeah Yeah. and documentaries always have whether it's on television and it's more uh, investigative or it can be poetic yeah i think that's the whole point to to find stories that would otherwise be remain unheard or unseen yeah
0: and now you're a lecturer mm-hmm. as well at De Montfort University yeah. and you've set up a new initiative.
1: That's right. The yeah. .hub
0: at DMU. So do you want to tell us a bit about that?
1: Okay, yeah. So uh, I arrived at DMU in uh, February of this year and um, and the university has given me a lot of support and space to develop this new initiative, Doc uh, the Doc .hub at DMU and this is uh, a hub for the development of the genre and what i mean by that is uh, that i that i'd like to drive documentary forward um, enabling other people to make documentaries so part of the doc hub is to run a mentoring program for young people to uh, get into the documentary industry but and eventually offer in a master's in documentary filmmaking here at dmu too and the big goal is to produce documentaries. But I'm particularly interested in uh, documentaries that have a social impact. So those that go beyond just, just in inverted commas, screening in the cinema or on television, but ideally lead, eventually lead to some change, either in communities or in policies or the individual. So the Doc Hub. It will eventually produce such documentaries, but uh, we're rolling it out with a pre-launch of screening She should have gone to the moon at the Phoenix. One of my main goals is to encourage the public to come to these screenings. So it's not necessarily about the art of filmmaking. It's a lot more about the issues that these films raise.
0: And do you think that documentaries underrated or overlooked genre when it comes to film? Ah,
1: that's that's an interesting question. I think it's that has been debated over and over again. Uh, I I certainly don't think it's inferior or less important. But it's interesting with the students that I meet through my teaching because I do teach documentary as part of my modules is that they engage less with documentaries. Um, and often they associate nature documentaries or political documentaries or the history channel, something like that, with documentaries. <laughs> it, exactly. Great, of course, fantastic documentaries, but not the only ones that are being made. And so it's just that it can be more difficult to be exposed to documentaries because they don't tend to draw in as big as an audience as the latest big release, of course not. And uh, therefore they are lesser known. You know, there always have been some documentaries, Man on Wire, The Imposter, documentaries that in the last decade have made a real splash and impact. And then it just so happens, everyone thinks this is the new birth of documentary, And then that doesn't quite seem to happen. They are also, because they don't make so much money, they're difficult to program in cinemas. And uh, some cities have documentary film festivals. They have dedicated screens or programs for documentaries. So there's an Oscar for documentary. There are lots of awards. But, yeah, I think it always takes one special documentary to push it forward into the public's conscience.
0: So now, could you tell us a bit about your experience as a documentary filmmaker?
1: Okay, yeah. Well, I've worked as a documentary filmmaker for quite a long time now. I've directed feature docs as well as produced them. I'm working on a feature documentary at the moment. Uh, called Every Boy Wants a Toy Gun, and that's still in post-production. I work independently, so I apply for funding. It used to be the Arts Council, that's how She Should Have Gone to the Moon was funded, with a grant from the uh, Arts Council. Then there's BFI funding, um, there is some funding in this country, as well as across Europe. But uh, yeah, i you know i've i've had a you know very positive experience
0: have you experienced any major difficulties mm. while being a filmmaker
1: so my experience with it personally i've had very little i've experienced very little discrimination and i thought about that a lot this year why that is the case and i think that a lot of it one of the main reasons is that i tend to work independently and therefore, I can choose who I work with. If I was working in the UK, right in the middle of the film industry or in a studio system, I'm sure my experience would have been very different. And I have enough uh, friends in that arena who I know have had suffered a lot of discrimination or have been disadvantaged because of the fact that they are women and uh, so therefore I've had less experience but that doesn't mean that I'm not as passionate about promoting gender equality and diversity uh, as you know as anybody else who's, who's experienced discrimination and there's a lot going on at the moment I'm hoping that you know I'm very conscious of being able to do what I can within my environment. So rather than saying, oh, putting my hands up, you know, it's big policy, I can't change anything. I I can, because I'm responsible for the students who come here and learn filmmaking. I can, you know, be conscious of helping, promoting equality amongst the genders within my modules. and uh, And also promoting confidence in women in particular who... I experience that every year when I meet new students, that when it comes to technology and equipment, that female students tend to be less uh, confident about using it. And so that's something that I'm keen on supporting and encouraging them. And, you know, it's interesting you look at reports from Directors UK. They had a report that came out earlier this year called Cut Out the Picture that showed how many women or how few women are uh, hired as directors within the UK. And the data is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And that puts a very real spin on it. You know, it's not just hearsay. It's not people talking about it. The uh, data is proof.
0: Thanks to Elrica for talking to me today. She should have gone to the Moon Screens at Phoenix on 15th of November at 6.30pm. by Q&A with Ulrika and Dr. Suzanne Imber, Associate Professor in Space Physics at University of Leicester, and winner of BBC show Astronauts, Do You Have What It Takes. Thanks for listening, hope you tune in next time.